belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for March 27th, 2022 is called, What is This? The speaker is Shannon Barrowcliffe, and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Here we go. Let's all bow our heads together. Abba, Father, your grace abounds. Um, We thank you for the opportunity this morning to meet, to come together um, in safety, um, and to raise our hands in worship to you, Lord. Father, we um, praise you for all the adventures our families, our local families had this week, both near and far. Um, And we pray for anyone still traveling that they get back safely. Father, we'd be remiss if we didn't pray for our brothers and sisters over in Europe in conflict, in war. We pray for safety, for wisdom, um, and for quick end to the war. Um, Father, as we come this morning, I pray that we open your word, open our phone to your word, and read your text with a new understanding, a new lens. I pray our hearts be opened. Um, and we see maybe something new that we haven't understood before. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So if you were here last week or you listened to the podcast, you probably remember John's anecdote about his love for all, practically anything pickled and his diatribe about that word pickle. Um, I'm happy to report that I also have a disdain for pickled cucumbers. So, John, I'm sure you're in my camp there. But I also have a disdain for anything that can dares to be pickled. It's so, it's so gross. But all that said, we have this jar of pickles up here, which may seem very strange. Um, but it's going to be joining us the next few months as we go through the uh, book of Mark. And it's a visual reminder about the idea of bapto, or dip versus baptizo, or utter transformation, and the change that takes place throughout the book of Mark, and, uh, the, and the change that takes place in all of us. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to the message last week, if you hadn't already. So, disgusting pickles. Good baptism. <laughs> okay, where are my kids here? All right, all the kids up there. What is this? What is it? Yeah, that makes sense. Who wears a crown? Hold on. Princess? Princess? Who else wears a crown? Hey, anyone can also join us here. A royal member? Love it. Gosh, got to be super inclusive, right? What are the qualities that somebody who typically wears this possesses? Leadership? What else? Privilege. Love it. Yeah, this is full participation. Come on, we're going to have several times. Power. Community. Is somebody who wears this, are they always going to act in the best interest of everybody? Yeah, probably not. Right? But sometimes. Sometimes. I see you. I see you. (laughs) All right. So today we're going to be looking at two types of uh, kings the Roman rulers of Jesus' time, and our king, Jesus Christ. 
I want you kids to see if you can spot the qualities that Jesus has compared to that of his empire counterparts and how he uses the commonly held understanding of royals, royalty, to bring a new hope to his kingdom. Go ahead and put that right there. Lovely. So history and most Disney movies tells us that kings and queens come to power through war, manipulation, marriages, and zealotry. These royals surround themselves with all-powerful armies, unimaginable wealth, and politics to ensure their reign. But what do we know about Jesus and his reign? We know that Jesus supersedes the culture of his day, turning commonly held beliefs and tradition about reigns upside down. As some of you may know, or if not, you will learn today, I love looking at the historical and cultural context of the Bible. I also love learning about the text in its original form, and today that will be Greek, and how all of that informs us today in 2022. So get ready for a history lesson and a new Greek word to impress all your friends. So without further ado, let's dig into the text. We'll be in uh, John 1, starting in verse 14. Now after John was imprisoned, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. As he went along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, um, and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in their boat mending nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Then they went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people there were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority, not like the experts in the law. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, leave us alone, Jesus of Nazarene. Have, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Silence, come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. So the, new, so the news about him spread quickly throughout all the region around Galilee. What is this? I love how the synagogue attendees saw the difference between Jesus and the priests and scribes of their day and asked that very question. Putting myself in the sandals of those in those verses, I could only imagine how many times I would say, what is this? In these short verses, we see for the first time Jesus using the terms the gospel of God, in the kingdom of God. We see him choosing four fishermen, untrained in the word of God, to join his soon-to-be revolution, and Jesus teaching under his own authority. We'll dig into each of these more this morning to understand their importance, but first, context. In preparation for today, I came across a pastor who defined the book of Mark as America's favorite gospel, and it totally makes sense. The book is shorter, 
faster and more entertaining than any other of the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters compared to 21 plus of the other Gospels, has 678 verses to the more than 1,000 verses of Matthew and Luke, and is chock full of quick stories about unclean spirits, miraculous healings, and parables galore. Exciting times. But why is this important? Every author of the book of the Bible had an agenda when they were penning their experiences, especially when thinking about their present-day audience, not the audience of 2022. In this case, Mark was writing to the Roman citizens, and he knew, through guidance and discernment of God, that the best way to get through to them was to use language and styles that would, be, that would captivate them. Much like our current culture, Roman citizens wanted to know information quickly, to know the answers now. Is that relatable? So Mark wrote concise accounts of thrilling tales to capture even the shortest attention span. So understanding Roman culture is imperative to understanding the book of Mark. In these verses, we are first introduced to the term gospel. Quick side note, many scholars and historians believe Mark was the, actually uh, the first gospel penned because Matthew quotes so much from Mark, like 600 verses out of 661, like a lot. Audience participation time. Quick show of hands. Who here automatically thinks of Christ or Christianity in general when they hear the word gospel? Actually, I think that might have been 100%. Uh, me too. Uh, so does Google. So you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But get ready uh, to learn some new history. In reality, it was a very secular term, familiar to every Roman citizen, regardless of religion. The word gospel in Greek, are you ready for this? Is euangelion. Euangelion. Which, as you know, means good news or good telling. In the Roman Empire, a euangelion was proclaimed at the beginning of every new emperor in their kingdom. It contained the good news of Nero, Caesar Augustus, Marcus Aurelius, and so on. It was their way to share how things were going to be now that their reign had begun. And the Romans didn't start this trend with the idea of gospel. We can see it as far back as ancient Greece with Alexander the Great and beyond. So not a Christian term originally. In present day terms, we hear gospels actually all the time. Um, so think about it. In inauguration speeches and corrupt politicians extending their reins to justify uh, their provisions, right? Like, I need to stay here so that I can give you a better life. And we even see it in megachurch pastors expressing um, why their way is best. And I bet you can think of more, including those very close to home. Again, let's go in history. You can travel to it today, you can travel to an ancient city in present-day Turkey and see an example of a euangelion for Caesar Augustus. So this plaque predates the biblical gospels by at least 50 years and before the birth of Jesus. Listen closely to the words and contrast them to how we understand the word gospel now. Citizens of Priena, since divine providence has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus, whom she filled with virtuous for the benefit of all mankind, bestowing on us Augustus Caesar, a savior of the world. For he has put an end to war, 
and brought perfect peace. By the epiphany, or advent, of his birth, he brought the gospel of peace to all mankind. For that reason, the Greeks of Asia have on this date declared that the new year should begin from now on, the 23rd day of September, the day of the birth of this God. Never will another gospel surpass the gospel that was announced at his birth. He is not only Lord of the empire, but Lord of the earth and of the calendar and of time itself. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remove the knowledge that Caesar Augustus was an infamous fighter and political mastermind. Fun fact, he set up a postal system and fire brigade. It's not all bad. And there are a lot of keywords that sound like our Christian gospel of today. So why does this context matter? Jesus and Mark, through his writings, used what was familiar to people in order to get them out of their comfort zones. Verse 14 in our text states, Jesus went out and proclaimed the gospel of God. Anyone of that era would have immediately known that Jesus was proclaiming his kingdom, a new reign that would overthrow the current emperor. For anyone undermined by Roman rule, this would be truly good news. But with this understanding, citizens only knew that a way a new emperor was chosen for a new Evangelion to be proclaimed was typically through violent means or a family tree at the very least. So now we all know, we all know the story, right? Jesus was a great warrior surrounded by trained soldiers equipped for battle, right? Yeah, not so much. So back to the story. So far we have Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Four fishermen who didn't even run their family business yet. Four fishermen who weren't the best and brightest, for if, they, if that were true, they would have been rabbis. What is this? What is Jesus doing proclaiming the gospel of God with four fishermen and zero untrained soldiers? Uh, fishermen, soldiers aside, Jesus does start to impress those at the synagogue when he teaches. Verse 22 states, the people there were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority, not like experts in the law. Jesus wasn't a recognized teacher, yet begins on his own authority to proclaim God's will. What is this? N.T. Wright explains this strange scene. He says, the usual teachers, the literate ones, the, within some places Pharisees as well, those self-appointed, scrupulous guardians of Jewish ancestral traditions, didn't teach like that. They always said, as Moses said, or as Rabbi so-and-so said, Jesus spoke with a quiet but compelling authority all of his own. And then, on top of that, under his own authority, Jesus cast out the unclean spirits, speaking words of healing over that man. What is this? We won't dig into unclean spirits this morning, and John has plenty of them to cover over the next few weeks. Um, but notice how the evil spirit recognized Jesus for who he is. He said, the Holy One of God. He called him by name. This is the first instance where something other than Jesus sees him for he, who he is, the Son of God. Let's summarize and figure out what we can learn in present day, in 2022. 
the writers of the Bible, with their own agendas and audiences in mind, do what God does with each of us. Meet us where we are, without condemnation, without expectation. Mark understands that the audience of the day wanted a synopsis of the story, not a play-by-play blow, and he delivered. Luke would give us that, right? 2,000 years later, and we can draw a lot of parallels between our current culture and that of the Romans. We love knowledge, we love quick answers, and we love to receive both in familiar terms to us. When Jesus used the term gospel, it wasn't by accident. It was a calculated move that everyone would understand. Jesus was bringing a new reign, and he would be the new king, the new emperor. As we read Mark and see Jesus' gospel spread, including to the Roman leaders, read with a new lens of what a gospel would mean to these parties. Begin to think about how Jesus' euangelion would be a threat to any Roman with power. Begin to understand why Jesus would expect someone with a gospel. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I messed up. Hold on. Here we go. <laughs> Begin to think about how Jesus' euangelion would be a threat to anyone with power. Begin to understand why Jesus would expect someone with a gospel to arrive on a white horse rather than a lowly donkey. Begin to discern why Jesus would raise an army of, 12, of just 12 men that include fishermen, tax collectors, and a zealot. And throughout all of that, think about how all of this applies to you and your walk today. So like last week, we are going to do an old Ignatius practice that involves active audience participation. As I reread the text, I want you to ask yourselves these two questions. What do I notice and what do I discern? Be intentional in some way about what you're going to leave here this morning and do. What is your action? Write down your answers to these two questions in your phone or on your notes. Again, what do you notice? What do you discern? So let's read the text again. John 1, starting in verse 14. Now after John was imprisoned, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. As he went along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and their boat mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Then they went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people there were amazed by his teaching, because he taught like one who had authority, not like the experts in the law. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, Leave us alone, Jesus of Nazarene. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Silence. Come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. 
He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So the news about him spread quickly throughout all the region around Galilee. So let's take a moment of silence, uh, in silence for reflection. Again, what are you noticing? What are you discerning? I'm going to give us an actual two minutes of silence. So this is going to be nice and awkward. Ready? I'm going to look at my watch and all that so that you have time in the moment to reflect on this text. Does anyone want to share? What are you noticing? What are you discerning? And I think for me what stood out in, in going through this text was the, this new idea of gospel, right? Gospel was always the good news. But now it means like really good news, right? Put yourself in those shoes of, of people oppressed by Roman rule. Um, and again, I'm like thinking of myself as an, of any of these Roman rulers and somebody else is having their own gospel. That's a, that's a battle cry right there. Let me raise my armies. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come back up. Um, and as we get ready to enter into worship and communion, I want to encourage you to continue to reflect on the implication of the gospel, both under Roman rule and under the, under the rulers we experience today. We have provided some additional questions to ponder and work through in your table groups this week. And I want to leave you today with the reminder and encouragement that Jesus has already come to proclaim the gospel of God. Jesus, and through followers for millennia, including you, have shared that gospel and successfully claimed the word gospel um, for his glory, not those in power. And finally, I want you to always remember that Jesus meets us where we're at and uses us in powerful ways. If he can use uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots, he can use you too for his kingdom. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.